The third angel poured out his bowl. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord, God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now that type of language of God pouring out his wrath and God pouring out his judgment on people and saying that this is what they deserve, if we're being honest, is probably a little bit uncomfortable for us. Right? That sounds a little bit contrary, maybe even to the message of the cross or to the gospel, that God's giving people what they deserve. And what makes it a little bit even more confusing is that there's a response whenever the angels pour out and proclaim, God, this, you are just, you are giving these people who have hurt your people what they deserve. There's a response. And where does the response come from? The altar. Does anyone, has anybody read through Revelation recently? Does anybody who rem, remember who's under the altar? The martyred saints. So Revelation 6, you have these martyred saints in verse 10 crying out to God and saying, How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And the Lord says, Just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. And now that wrath is being poured out. And the angels are proclaiming, this is what they deserve. And the martyrs are saying, yes, it is. And just you are. You, God, you are just for doing this. Does that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? A little bit maybe confused as to what's going on here? I think whenever we come and we discuss the justice of God... We find it a little bit troubling, a little bit unsettling for a variety of reasons. We, we struggle because we, we feel that, again, that it seems contrary to what we know about Christ, to what we know about the gospel, and, and we're going we're gonna to come to that. But before we understand the gospel, before we understand the mercy of God, before we understand the grace of God... You have to really understand the justice of God. And in fact, you're never really going to rejoice in God's mercy if you did not first tremble at his justice. You have to learn how to tremble at the justice of God before you can really rejoice in the mercy of God. And so, uh, and because, and when we talk about the justice of God, at least I know from my own experience, it almost seems as if, we're acting as if, you know, God's kind of dragging his feet when it comes to justice. Like, he kind of had to do justice. He, he doesn't really want to do justice, but he kind of has to. He's kind of compelled to. Really, you know, he wants to show us mercy, but he has to show us justice. And, and almost as if God himself is being compelled from some outside force to do something that he doesn't want to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very much like God to me. If God is being compelled or forced to do something that he actually doesn't want to do, then he isn't God. And so we need to be very careful about the language that we use 
when we are talking about God, his justice, and how he relates to his justice. The, the scripture is very clear that God delights in justice, that it is an essential part of who he is. Psalm 9 and verse 7, for example, says, The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne in justice. The psalmist simply says in Psalm 33 and verse 5, He loves righteousness and justice. But why do we need to see God and his justice? Why do we need to you know, be still and know as this lesson is? But why, why, why do we need to be still and know? Because I think most of us would really prefer to focus on God's mercy and God's love. In fact, I think probably the vast majority of you, you've probably talked to people about how God is your savior, how he's your redeemer, uh, how he is your friend, how he is your father. And all of that's good. All of that's true. All of that's right. When was the last time you talked to somebody and said, hey, you know, God's my judge. God's your judge. Did you know that? When was the last time you talked to somebody and used that term? I remember talking to uh, David Jones. Is David in here? No, I remember talking to David Jones once. He used to have a coworker he used to work with. He used to work on a uh, golf course, and uh, that's why he never played golf with David. Um, but uh, he used to work on a golf course, and he had this, uh, this uh, uh, non-believing uh, coworker, and he would give David kind of a hard time for, uh, for believing in the Bible. Ah, you believe in that stuff. And David would always respond... He said, well, you can make fun of me, but it's going to judge you one day. So David might be the exception of that. But we don't generally like that. But here's the thing. Why can't we just focus on God's love and his wisdom and his power? Because if we fail to recognize and to understand and to comprehend the justice of God, then we cannot and will not fully comprehend and understand the love, the holiness, the wisdom, and the power of God. Because if God isn't just, then how can God truly be loving? If he isn't concerned with making right the wrongs that are done in the world for the people that he loves. How can God be wise if he can't truly discern the difference between what is right and what is wrong? And he uses his power to make right the wrongs. And how can God really even be good if he is not passionate about upholding what is right and defending those who have been wronged. Do you see what I'm saying here? If we don't fully comprehend and understand and uphold the justice of God, we are questioning the very foundation of God's character. And we are not seeing God in his fullness, in his totality, and in his majesty. If God was indifferent to justice, then he would not be God. That is the summation of it all. At the same time, God's justice is kind of double-sided, you know, for us. Because on one hand, God's justice is a comfort. Because it means that God is going to judge the wickedness that has been done to me. So on one hand, God's justice is a comfort. He's going to take care of the wickedness that's been done to me. On the other hand, God's justice is a terror. Because he's going to do something about the wickedness within me. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 11. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. And did you notice in verse 11, Paul says, knowing therefore the, what? The terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, when we speak of justice and judgment, we kind of speak of them both in similar terms because they're implied by the other. 
If there is such a thing as justice, there's a such thing as injustice. And if there is such a thing as justice and injustice, then there is a day in which the injustices of the world will be dealt with. And we refer to that as God's judgment and God's judgment day. And there's an ultimate good to which we will be held accountable to. And at the same time, right now in our culture, there is a lot of confusion and a lot of discussion about justice, right? There's a lot of discussions and a lot of confusion about what justice is, how justice should be enacted, uh, whether certain things are unjust. Our nation over the past year, and really the past many, many years before then, but, but specifically in the past couple of years, our nation has become deeply passionate about such things as social justice, racial equality, transgender rights, and things of that nature. So they've become very passionate. The world has become very passionate about these things. Some Christians have become passionate about these things. But the irony is, is that while at the same time the world has become passionate about these very uh, moral subjects and being very passionate about justice, they at the same time are becoming just as passionate, declaring that there, are, there is no such thing as absolute truth, right? And there is no such thing as something being absolutely right and absolutely wrong. You can't have it both ways, okay? You, you can't have this passion for justice and yet this equal passion that says there is no such thing as moral absolutes by which justice is demanded. If there is no God, then there is no such thing as rights, and therefore there is no such thing as justice, and there is no such thing as injustices. I have no right to tell you that you must treat me fairly, and you really have no right to tell me that I have to treat someone else fairly if there is no God. You know, don't quote that on Facebook without that last little thing there. (laughs) If there is no God, that is how it is. But yet, if there is no God, why is it, why is it that we feel so passionate about justice? And and this isn't just about ourselves. Now, from a very young age, we feel very passionate about justice, right? I've got a little three-year-old right now. He's the most passionate lawyer you've ever seen in your life, right? Because you take something away, or his brother or sister takes something away, he says, hey, that's mine, right? Or as he gets a little older, they start saying what? That's not fair. From a very young age, we understand there is such a thing, and the concept is fairness and equality. And we become deeply passionate, and we throw tantrums whenever justice is not done. So if there is no absolute Justice. If there is no absolute justice imbued and endowed and founded within the very character of God himself, then why do we have these, these demands of these rights and these demands for this justice? These are important questions that we need to be asking. The atheist might demand that there are no such thing as absolutes. There are no such things as right and wrong until you take their parking spot <laughs> or until you break into their house. Then all of a sudden they are very passionate about rights and wrongs. Injustices and injustices. And so it's deeply important for us as Christians to be able to articulate and to understand the nature of God's justice, how it is implemented within the world, and ultimately how it is satisfied within Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to just briefly talk about uh, this afternoon. And the first thing I want us to discuss is the nature of God's justice itself 
And I might ask some of you to, to read scriptures occasionally, if you don't mind. The nature of God's justice. Some of the earliest scenes of scripture, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but some of the earliest scenes of scripture depict God as a judge. Genesis 3, God is already a judge. Doesn't take very long. The Garden of Eden, this place of beauty and pleasure and benefit and goodness, all of a sudden, when man sins, it turns into a courtroom. Adam and Eve and the serpent are the ones who have been convicted, and they have to come before the judge. And he passes out, passes out what? He gives them their sentencing, right? That's justice that we see very early on in Scripture. We keep moving forward and we see God's justice and his wrath and his judgment being enacted upon wickedness and evil within the flood, for example. Later on with Nadab and Abihu. And, and, and there's instances where God will act in immediate and absolute justice and judgment that it almost makes us step back a little bit and think, whoa, what's going on here? I'll give you a good example. Ever heard of a man by the name of Uzzah? Right? The Uzzah, who, 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 who does what? What does Uzzah do? Right? He touches the ark, and God does what? Immediately. Strikes him down dead. Now, what do we do whenever we come to that story? We get very confused. We get very confused. We say, well, why is it that God did that? He was just trying to steady the ark. Why, why is he doing that? You know, well, we blame it on, you know, David or the, they, should, they weren't carrying it properly. Now, that's true. They weren't carrying it properly, and that's part of the story. But there's an issue with Uzzah, too. And don't you miss that. Because what God did to Uzzah was absolutely and perfectly just. What he did to him. To strike him down was absolutely and perfectly just. But we struggle with that. And, and these instances of God reaching out occasionally in immediate justice, it's not just for the Old Testament, there's the New Testament as well, right? Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the Holy Spirit, gone, dead, no chance. And we think, man, why didn't he just give him a little bit more opportunity to repent? And we stagger and we struggle with why is this being done? Let me tell you something. The reason that we struggle with those passages and the reason that we struggle when God acts out in justice is because we are so used to God acting towards us in mercy. When Scripture says, scripture says true or false, sin equals death, true or false. True. And yet I'm still here breathing. And you're still here breathing. And Adam and Eve were allowed to leave the garden and to still flourish. So God is acting in his mercy constantly. Every day he is acting by his mercy. The mercies are new every day. And so when God actually acts out in justice, in those momentary moments, we step back and say, what's going on here? But the reality is, is that's how he should be acting to every single one of us. And yet we balk when he does act in immediate justice. We, we act this way, for example, with Adam and Eve sometimes. I mean, wasn't God a little bit tough on them? It was just a fruit, right? 
It was just one bite. Why all of the consequence? Why all of the severity? And, and just by that, just our reaction to that and those instances show, and this is something we need to realize, it shows that my view of justice as a, a fallen, sinful man is very different from God's view of justice. And you know why? Because my view of sin is very different from God's view of sin. Adam and Eve got exactly what they deserved. In fact, they didn't get the full measure of what they deserved. They deserved to die. And God clothed them. And he sent them out. And he still provided for them. Is God too severe then in his justice and his judgments? Not nearly enough, in fact. In some ways to us, it might seem that way when it comes to the punishment of sin, at least from our perspective. But again, this isn't a deficiency in God, but in us. We are simply far too familiar and we are far too comfortable with sin. And so when we see sin being punished in the way it should be punished, we balk at it. But of course, God's justice is much more than just the punishment of sin. And this is what we need to consider when we're talking about the nature of God's justice. What does it look like? Well, number one, it's impartial. God's justice is impartial. One of the main qualities of God that's witnessed within Scripture is that in his moral assessments and judgments, he is completely lacking in bias or personal preference. God is completely lacking in bias or personal preference. Um, Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, when Peter is uh, speaking after his account with Cornelius, he says, truly I understand that God shows no what? Partiality, what does the King James say? Respecter of persons. He shows no respect of persons or partiality. Second Chronicles 9 and verse 7. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, so that there is no in, so that, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. God is impartial when he makes judgments and in his justice. God doesn't favor the rich over the poor. He doesn't favor the poor over the rich. You know, that's very interesting because we tend to think that if people have had a harder time in life, then they need to be given a greater benefit of the doubt when it comes to justice. God doesn't think that. I'm, I don't mean to bust your bubble, but he doesn't. You go back and read the Mosaic Law, and he says, you shall not favor a poor man in your judgments. Why? Why shouldn't you favor a poor man in your judgments? Because if you favor him... What, what results from that isn't justice. It's partiality. It's a respect of persons. And so God is impartial. He does not, God does not give a pass to his closest friends. Just ask Moses and David. God is impartial. In all of his judgments, he judges his people with impartiality. And at the same time, what this also means, and this is very important for us to understand about God's justice... What this also means is that God is, at the same time, while he doesn't give partiality to the poor when it comes to assessments and judgments, God is also very deeply passionate about preserving the rights and the protection of those that are most taken advantage of. The poor, the widow, the destitute. For example, in Psalm 10, verses 7 and 8, the psalmist says, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted, 
and you will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed so that the man who is of earth may strike terror no more. Over and over and over again, God is defending the rights of those who cannot defend themselves. That is at the heart of God's justice. He is defending those who can't defend themselves, who are unable because of corrupt and powerful men. So God's is impartial. God's judgment is impartial. His justice is impartial. God's just, justice is perceptive. A, a present judge can only judge the actions of someone, really. They might think they know what the motive is. They don't really know what the motive is. But God judges both the action and the motive itself. You see this, for example, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 16, when Paul says that on the judgment day, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Now, you might can hide your motive and your intentions, your desires and your will from the people around you about your actions. But you cannot hide it from God. His judgment is perceptive. He sees into our heart. He judge, judges our secrets and our motives as well. Number three, God's justice is not only perceptive and impartial, but it is fair. Because God knows the secrets and the hearts of men, and because he is impartial, his acts of justice and judgment are always what the sin deserves. In Psalm 119 and verse 75, it says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In Romans chapter 1, after Paul lists this entire, uh, you know, this plethora of sins, he gets down to the end of verse 32 and he says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. See, that's God saying, no, this is what sin deserves. Sin deserves death. And so he is, he is fair. And, and what's interesting is, is that Scripture says he is fair. In fact, God doesn't really extend the, always the foolish measure of his justice to creation and to humanity. And that's the fourth element of God's justice, that ironically, God's justice is also merciful. Um, we're going to speak on this in just a moment, a little bit later. Um, but do you remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 103 and verse 10 about God? He says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Now, is the psalmist saying in that instance that God doesn't care about justice, that he doesn't punish sin, that he doesn't punish iniquities? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that God could extend far more than what he does. He doesn't deal with us according to our iniquities. He's mindful of that. And so even in the midst of his justice, he is merciful. God is not a robot constrained by a force outside of himself. And we need to understand that. There are times where I act only in love. And there are times where I act only in, uh, in fear. And only in hatred. And only in anger. And I have these, you know, these moments where I act only in those moments. But God doesn't act that way. God is absolutely perfect in his character. And every time he acts, all of his attributes, his goodness, his mercy, his holiness, all of that, including his justice, are working towards in that action together. So it's not as if when God acts in justice, he says, well, I can't be merciful right now. I've got to be just. I've got to be just. Or, you know what, I can't be loving right now. I've got to be just. No, that's not what God does. That's what we do, but not what God does. But here's the important thing. If 
This is the nature of true justice, that it is uh, merciful, fair, perceptive, impartial. If this is the nature of true justice, then this is the type of justice that we are expected to convey in our life as well, to the best of our ability. Why? Because I and you, we are image bearers of God. And so if I am bearing God's image, if I'm reflecting God's image, that means that I have to be reflecting and showing the justice of God to the best of my ability. That I need to be impartial. That I need to be perceptive to the best of my ability. To be fair and merciful. And this is so important right now in our society. This is so important. In our society where everyone is quick to judge a situation without proper evidence or context... The church should seek to be a beacon of genuine justice in the world. True biblical justice. And this is what the world needs, whether it realizes it or not. So this is the nature of God's justice. Let's let's real quickly look at the confirmation of God's justice. How does God uphold his justice in the world? Because, and this is important, this is why. Because the scripture is very clear that God is just, that he's passionate about justice, that he upholds justice. And at the same time, there's a lot of injustices in the world, aren't there? There's a lot of things that just don't seem fair, that don't seem right, that go the wrong way. And if you've never dealt with injustices in your life, I guess you just haven't lived in the world long enough. Because they're going to come. Things that you look at and you're just, that's not fair that this happens. So how does God possibly uphold and pursue and demand justice within the world? Well, number one, he does it by natural law. By natural law. There is within the universe a law that is just as true and just as certain as gravity itself. And that is, you reap what you sow. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. We assume and we know that if a person continues to live a life of injustice where he's taking advantage of people, where he's taking advantage of others, that eventually that's going to come back on him. And we see it time and time again in the movies. We see it time and time again in real life. We understand that if a person sows something, he's going to reap that as well. And if he sows injustice, he's going to receive injustice as well. And we see that. But we just assume it. We don't even think about it because we know that's true. Why is that? Because it's a law. That God is intertwined within the universe itself. That you are, if you sow the wind, you're going to reap what? You're going to reap the whirlwind. So he does it by natural law. Number two, he upholds and confirms his justice within his word and within his law. God has revealed his will. He has revealed his judgment. He has revealed his justice within his word. And the purpose of the word and the purpose of uh, of the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus says in John 16 and verse 8, is to convict the world of sin. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 9 that the law is laid down for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners. So he upholds it by his law and his word. Number three, he confirms his justice uh, by the governmental authorities. Now, we don't like this one. 
but it's true. Um, God upholds his law and justice by the governmental authorities. Scripture is very clear that God rules in the kingdoms of men, Daniel chapter 5 and verse 21. And one of the central purposes of the governmental authorities and the governmental system is the punishment of evil and the promotion of good. This is what Paul, uh, Paul says in Romans 13 and verse 4. He is God's servant for our good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So he, he upholds and confirms his justice in this way. I, I know I'm kind of quickly going through this, but we've got just a very limited time. And uh, some of you are starting to pray a little bit more, you know. You know. So um, uh, he upholds, number four, uh, his justice, and he confirms his justice by what I refer to as the inner oughtness, the inner oughtness or the inner witness of the conscience, the moral compass that God has instilled within us. Nobody has to tell me when something is unfair. I intuitively know when it is unfair. Nobody has to tell me certain things that are right and certain wrong. I know these things intuitively as an image bearer of God. God has placed this inner moral compass within humanity that points back due north to God himself. And he has instilled this within humanity as image bearers of God. Some people compromise it. Some people suppress it, as we see within Romans chapter 1. But it is still there. We know certain things are right. We know certain things are wrong. And nobody has to tell us. We just know it. I know that murder is wrong. I know that courage is right. Why? Because God has instilled this moral oughtness within us. And that is embedded within us as God's creation. Romans 2 and verse 15 Paul talks about this as well. And then number five, and this is the big one within Scripture, God confirms his judgment by the promise and the certainty of judgment day. The promise and the certainty of judgment day. One of the central messages of Scripture, of course, is that a day is coming in which God will pour out his justice and judgment on the world, ensuring that all evil is held accountable that all righteousness and righteous living is rewarded. And this is justice that he upholds. And this is the great truth that overshadows all of human history, that there is a day coming that this world is going to be held ac accountable. We are all going to be held accountable, as you said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. And by the way, this shows, this shows, this idea of judgment day shows that life has meaning and purpose. Because if there is not a judgment day, if there is not a day in which all evil is accounted for, all the evil in this world, I just want to think about for a moment, all the evil that's been done in the world, if there is no judgment day, if that evil is not, is not dealt with, if the wrongs that have been done are not dealt with, if the scales aren't rebalanced, then what in the world is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life? If there's no real good and real bad, and if there's no real accounting for that, and there's no real point at which life is going, what is the point of life? There is no point. Judgment Day is the central reason. Uh, it gives meaning to the history of humanity. Okay, now real quickly, I wish I had more time for this, but I just got the five-minute warning. Um, but you're, you're a student, right? So the five-minute warning, does that count if you're a student? No, it's good. <laughs> No, I, I appreciate that. What was your name again, brother? Patrick, Patrick thank you. Um, Romans chapter 3. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 3 real quickly. 
Because we, want, we need to see the justice, the satisfaction of God's justice within the cross of Jesus Christ. Because this is the ultimate message. This is God's justice on full display for the world. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have done wrong. All have done injustices. All are unjust. But how are we justified? Verse 24, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Well, if, 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 I, if everybody's unjust, if everybody's evil, if everybody's wicked, if everybody's sinful, and God makes us right, makes us just, and makes us righteous before Him by His grace, how then can God be just? If He's just kind of like, ah, your sins are good. You're good. It's okay. How can He be just? And we already talked about that if He isn't just, then that compromises the entirety of His character. He's not really loving, powerful, wise, good, or anything. So how does He do it? Now notice what He says here in verse 25. You're justified by His grave as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show, notice verse 26, his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. If I'm evil and God has, for, God has forgiven my sins, how is that possible? Because within Jesus Christ, he received the due penalty of my sin. He took my place. He was the one that received God's justice on my behalf. He was a propitiation, the wrath-diverting sacrifice. God poured his wrath out on him so that he could pour his mercy out on me. And so this conundrum in which God wants to both justify and be just, and he, this, it is fixed, this paradox is fixed within the cross of Jesus Christ. This is God's justice on full display because it is both merciful and graceful and loving that he willingly offers himself and offers his son to endure the penalty of sin on my behalf so that I might be justified. And that within the cross of Jesus Christ, that in the face of Jesus Christ, he is the justice of God. And Brethren, when you, when you see that, this free gift of righteousness that we are given because of Jesus... How can you not want to praise God for that? I mean, when you really understand what's going on in the cross, how God is taking all of the evil and all of the wrong and all of the unfairness in the world, and he's taking it upon his shoulders and he's crucified. And he gives you now that he has done that. He gives you this grace. Not because you are good. It's already said you're not good. Not because you're good. But because he is good. There's a question that Abraham asked God in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25. And it's when he's 
dealing with God over Sodom, because Lot is there. And you know the story of how he goes back and forth. You know, there's, there's 54, 10. And then he gets to Genesis 18 and verse 25. And he says this, Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right, many of your translations say, but I think the ESV has it right, where it says, Will not the judge of all the earth do what is just? The cross of Jesus Christ says always. Always. And praise our God for who He is. The God of justice. Thank you for your time this afternoon.